We've been in a series, a collection of messages here at Faith Church entitled Freedom. And we've been exploring the truth of what God's Word says. And at the same time, helping it sink deep into our hearts so that we could move forward in freedom. Because for many people, it is our past and our our yesterdays that we keep looking back to that keep holding us back. But God wants to set us free from our yesterdays so that we can move fully forward into our tomorrows. We've been exploring that and and looking at that. And I've got a message that I want to bring uh, this morning to help us as we continue this study. Uh, But I want to take just a minute and say thank you to to Kevin, who did an outstanding job last Sunday. Can we thank him? Did an amazing job bringing the word, talking about the overflow of our heart. And we're going to talk a little bit about our hearts over the next few weeks and the things that often contaminate our hearts or cap our hearts from flowing in that relationship with God. But he did a great, great job. Uh, And I'm going to kind of continue in that vein of thought this morning. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5 and 6. This may be a familiar verse to you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because out of your heart flows all of your life. And your whole heart needs to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own intellect, your own understanding, your own opinions, your own perspective. Don't don't put all the stock and all your trust in your own abilities. Don't lean on your own understandings, but rather in all your ways, in all your dealings, in all your relationships, in all, all the things that you do that pertain to your life, in all your ways, submit to him. Oh, I wish that verse wasn't there. Submit to him because I don't always like his ways. I like my ways. I, I don't like doing it. I, I think I got some good ideas too, God. But he, he, he says do it his way, not my way. Submit to him and then he will make your path straight. I think a lot of times we like to make plans and ask God to bless them. And God's just saying, if you do my plan, it's already blessed. But the problem is we don't trust him enough. We trust ourselves more than we trust him. And in that result, we lean on our own understanding and we don't do it his way. And then we wonder why our life isn't isn't blessed. And we wonder why it's not working the way that we wanted it to or we thought he promised us. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your heart, there are multiple zones in your heart. Today, I want to bring a message to you entitled Control Zones. Control Zones. Uh, we have a, a Honda van, and I love the fact that our, our Honda van has a couple features. Two features, because there are two things that people get in more arguments about in a vehicle when they're riding together. It's the music and the temperature. And I love that our van has multiple zones where the kids can listen to whatever we want them to listen to in the back, and we can listen to our music in the front. We have, we have dual control of our van. And then it takes it a step further with the temperature, right? The kids, there's a rear zone control for heating and air. Then there's a front control. But it takes it even further, praise the Lord, because my wife runs at a different temperature than I run. And I can have my own control of my airflow, and she can have control over her airflow. And because we all have our own control in our own way, there is peace in the van. 
I don't know if your car has those kind of controls and those zones of control. But here's what I know is that, that control is a little more natural than trust. We have a natural ability to control things in our lives, and we don't have a natural ability to trust others with our lives. I, I grew up in a, in a really large family. There were six kids in our family. In fact, today I have uh, three of my other siblings here. There are four of us in the house. My family is here. Can you welcome them? Say hello. It's good to have you all here. Six kids. Thankfully, I was the second oldest, which meant that I had more street knowledge than the rest of them. And uh, it would come to certain moments where we would go through the McDonald's drive through and everybody would have a burger that was bought for them, but we all had to share a fry, not always a large fry, but a fry and a drink. And I figured that since there, uh, I only can control what belongs to me, so I get to eat my burger, nobody gets to eat that, but I have to share the fries. So I ate the fries first. Because I can control how many fries I get if I eat the fries first. They can't eat my burger, but by golly, they could eat the fries. So I went to town on those fries because I can control what I can control, and I can't control what I can't control. Friends, I think there are areas in our lives that we're controlling, we're holding on to, but here's what I need you to understand. That which you control, you ultimately feel responsible for. That which you grab and hold on to and try and control, you ultimately will feel responsible for. Which is why Proverbs says, trust God with everything, give him control of everything, and he'll make your path straight. He's on the hook for the results. But if you are running your life your way, you're on the hook for the results. And in the areas that you control and surrender to God, he's the one who makes it all work out in the end. Because what we try and control, we ultimately will feel the weight of responsibility for. Surrender always requires trust. It always requires trust. And trust doesn't come naturally to us. In fact, trust is easily broken. It's a pretty fragile thing, isn't it? It's hard to trust somebody when you're in a dating relationship at first to really trust them with everything. And then you finally trust them with everything only for them to break your trust and to break your heart. And then you find yourself the next time around, whether with them or somebody else, it's even harder to trust the second time, isn't it? You've walked through pain. You've walked through seasons of life. You know how hard it is because trust can get burned. It can be betrayed, but it's not always easily restored. And so because of that, we feel a sense of holding on to everything that we can control because the few times that we have let go of control and trusted, we got burned. Maybe you, you grew up in a family where the Bible was preached and it was kind of law and what mom and dad said went and you lived in this home that was very legalistic and they had a scripture for everything and you felt really controlled and no freedom and then you, you heard that you got to do it God's way and that's mom and dad's way but mom and dad, maybe dad was a bit verbally or physically abusive and so now the things aren't computing for you because the person that you thought you were supposed to trust it broke your trust and violated your life and now you're left with this gaping hole and you're not sure how how you could ever trust again, and you're supposed to trust God, but the very picture of what a father is isn't 
isn't a good picture for you, and you're left having a hard time trusting God, I get it. I understand. There are those moments for many of us in this place of trust where we're wondering, what if, what if, what if? And so we control as much as we possibly can control to limit the amount of trust that we would ever have to give someone else. And that goes with God. We have a hard time trusting God because there's past trust that we feel like has been, has been broken. How do we come to grips? How do we live out this Proverbs verse where we know we want our ways to all make sense and we want to trust God with everything, which means that we have to trust God with everything and give Him our whole heart and we have to submit to Him. We have to surrender to Him. See, because what you are controlling, that which you have not surrendered, you are in control of. You cannot both walk in surrender and control at the same time. Either God is the controller that you've surrendered to or you're controlling that area of your life. And we all have different zones in our lives. We all have different areas in our life. Some, of, some people are really quick to trust God in certain areas, but we're really, really hesitant to trust Him in other areas. And at the end of the day, that which we control, we often love and value the most. And the problem is, if what we value and love the most is what we're controlling, and God's not the one controlling it, I wonder if maybe that would be a place that we would have to be willing and honest enough to say, that's an idol. Because anything that isn't first God, if we're worshiping it, if we're loving it more than we're loving God, it's become God. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And I think that's why God doesn't want anything to come in between your relationship and his. He doesn't want anything to become so much more valuable. We, we said it here when we took communion that God loved the world so much that he was willing to kill his own son so that he could have your affection one day. If God was willing to kill his own son, whom he loves so much, to win your affection? Is there anything in your life he's not willing to ask you to surrender to keep your affection? What is it that you have the most affection towards or for? That's the thing that you are worshiping. That's the thing that you are loving. And likely, that's the thing you're trying to control. But we've got to be willing to surrender and let go of the control and let God have our full heart and trust. Nothing uh, illustrates maybe these truths quite like the story that we read in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, we're going to read the story here real quick, but in Genesis 22, we see a man by the name of Abraham. And uh, for those of you that are familiar with scripture, Abraham used to have a name, and his name used to be called Abram. And when his name was Abram, God gave Abram a promise and said, Abram, I'm going to make you a great, great, you're going to have a lot of kids. Many will. In fact, you, you'll have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. Incredible promise to a man. The problem was Abram was really, really old. And his wife, even older. Unable to have kids. If God's going to give this guy kids and descendants, God better get moving pretty quick 
because time is ticking on this deal. And God, Abram tried. He wanted to believe God. He knew God had a plan, but Abram had a problem. He liked to control the outcomes. So Abram took matters into his own hands, we'll say. And he took a maidservant of his wife and tried to take control and control the outcomes, but that outcome ended up not being God's will. Because anytime you try and control the outcomes that ultimately are left up to God, you're responsible for them. And it created all sorts of relational mess that Abraham did. And eventually God blessed Abram and Sarai, changed their name to Abraham and Sarah, opened up Sarah's womb, and gave them the promised son named Isaac. Isaac was the promise. Isaac was the one that was going to give Abraham many, many descendants. Going to keep that name going on and on and on. And he was the lifeline through which God's promise would show up. And then we get to Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Why? Because your trust in God will always be tested. You'll always walk through seasons and come to moments where your trust in God will be tested. Why? Here's why. Because relationships can only be trusted as far as they've been tested. Relationships can only be trusted as far as they've been tested. And God wants you to know you can trust him. So he gives opportunities for your trust in him to get tested. Oh, it's not because he needs to know. It's because you need to know how much you trust him. You need to know how much you can trust him in the process. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Does that sound familiar to you? Is there another verse later on in Scripture where there was somebody who took their son, their only son, whom they loved a lot? Listen to these instructions. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, I feel it my pastoral duty to inform you that God is not asking you to go sacrifice your children. Surrender them? Yes. <laughs> Do you want to sacrifice them? That's another subject, another story. But can I just tell you, everything in the old points to something in the new. Everything in the Old Testament points us to something in the, in the New Testament. Spoiler alert. God stops Abraham before he actually has to sacrifice Isaac because there would only need to be one human sacrifice to make a promise come true, and that human sacrifice was Jesus Christ who willingly gave his life on a cross. Take your son up to the mountain. Verse 3, I love this. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I don't think he got up early because he had a lot of faith. I think he got up early because he never went to bed. Can you imagine the stress of trying to figure this thing out? The weight of having to do this? I think he got so nervous he couldn't sleep. Sarah kicked him out of the tent and said, go chop wood. I need to sleep. So Abram went out and started chopping the wood because they would need it for later. He had to get up and do something. I know you can relate. You've been so stressed about something that you've been trying to control in your life. You haven't gotten sleep either. You've had those restless nights. Why? Why? Because you've been trying to control an outcome. 
when you're trying to control outcomes, you're not trusting God, you're trusting in yourself. You could call it temporary atheism. Your anxiety and your stress are just temporary atheism. Where you are choosing not to believe in God in a moment, but believing in something other than God in that moment. Let's keep going. Early the next morning, they loaded up the donkey and two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when they had enough firewood for the burnt offering, he sent out to the place. And God had told him about it. And on the third day, what day? I love how the Holy Spirit writes scripture. On the third day. Anything cool in scripture ever happen on the third day? Yeah, a few things. On the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Oh, I love it. Abram took the word for the burnt offering. Notice what he did with the wood, with the trees that had been cut down. And he placed them on his son Isaac. And Isaac carried the wood up the mountain. There would be another son that would have a wooden beam stretched over his back. And he would carry it up a mountain to sacrifice as well. Did you know that those were the same mountains? That what Isaac was picturing, what Isaac was embodying, what Isaac was modeling would thousands of years later be in that same mountain that there would be God's son who would come to the world, strap a beam to his back, and walk up the same mountain. Stay here while we go up and worship. They placed the wood on Isaac. Isaac carried it up, and I love it. The story goes on. Isaac gets up the mountain, and they start going, and goes, um, Dad, uh, funny story. Uh, I see the fire that we've got, and I see the wood that we've got. Uh, if we're making a sacrifice, where is the lamb? And Abraham looks at Isaac and says, Son, don't worry about it. God's already provided it. I don't know if that was faith or a parental pivot. Don't worry, son, God's already given us what we need to sacrifice. Like, I don't know if it was one of those moments, but Abraham answered well, and I hope it was a moment of faith because they would go up, find the altar, strap him down. He would raise the knife, and right before he took the knife to end his son's life and sacrifice him, an angel shows him and says, stop, 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 stop. God has tested you, and you've passed. Here's a ram. Caught in the thicket, they take that, sacrifice it. And Abraham said, this place is the place where God revealed himself to me as Jehovah Jireh. The God who saw ahead and already made provision. Because somebody put that, that ram in the thicket. Because God was already in that place. Friends, I came to tell you today, you can trust God. Why can you trust God? Because he's already in your future making things ready for you. He's already been in your past protecting you, providing, walking with you. So you can trust him in this moment where you're at today. And when he comes knocking at your door, and he will come knocking at your door, and he will say, I need you to surrender this thing in your life, this area of your life, this area, this zone of your heart. I want you to surrender it, and I want you to stop trying to control it and give it to me and surrender. He's going to come, and he's going to ask you for it. And when he asks you for it, friends, you can trust him because his character has proven that he can. You might sit there and say, but pastor, I, you don't understand. There's been a lot of, lot of characters in my life that I can't trust now. Friends, 
Sometimes we're readily able to trust somebody because of their charisma that's seen in an instant. But charisma and character aren't the same. Sometimes we trust people because of their charisma, but what we need to do is let their character play out over time, and then we can trust it. Some of you, some of us have gotten burned and hurt and broken because we were too ready to trust somebody that we haven't given them time to prove who they really were. Don't follow somebody's charisma. Let their character be proved out over time. Friends, I've walked with God a long time. And can I tell you, just like David saw, David said it like this, I have never once seen God's children begging for bread. Never once have I seen the righteous forsaken. Friends, in my life, never once have I seen God let me down. It may have not been in my time, and it may have not been in the exact way I wanted, but the moment I chose to trust him, the moment I chose to bring it before him, the thing that I valued the most, I gave it to him. And he made it all work out. Why? Because Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is still true today. There are two main areas that your trust in God will be tested. Two main areas. Happens all through Scripture, and it will happen in your life if it hasn't already, and likely again. Two areas. Are you ready? I'm going to give them to you up front, and then we'll unpack them. God will always test us when it comes to trust in riches, And when it comes to relationships, you will be tested when it comes to your trust in God in the area of riches and relationships. Riches and relationships. We must trust God with our riches. I I probably should say it like this. We should trust God with his riches. I don't know if you realized it or you picked it up in, in even Abraham's story with Isaac. Isaac was the promise. Isaac was the lineage. Isaac was the one investment Abraham was betting would pay off. It was the 401k, retirement plan, and legacy plan all wrapped into one person. If it wasn't going to happen through Isaac, it wasn't happening at all. The most precious treasured resource and riches that God had given to Abraham, all of the promises hinged on Isaac's life. All of them, the riches, the wealth, the fame of Abraham's name, it all hinged on Isaac. And God said, I want you to surrender that to me. Friends, God will always and often come to you and say, I want you to surrender the riches in your life. But many of us love our riches more than we love our Lord. And we're controlling our riches rather than surrendering our riches That's why tithing is so important. That's why God talks about, that's why Jesus talks more about money than he talks about heaven. Why? Because it matters to your life, your trust. Nothing will come between God quicker in your relationship than your riches. And that's why he says tithe is bringing the first 10% undesignated, that's another way of saying uncontrolled, undesignated to God's house. It's it's why he does it. Because every time there are riches and increase that come into our lives, if we'll take the first and return it back to him, we're telling God, God, you control it. We give it to you. We're living surrendered. We're living open hand. We all love Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. But keep reading to verse 9 and 10, where God says, bring the first fruits, the first of all your increase, 
Your birthday money, that's an increase. The raise, that's an increase. The weekly pay, that's an increase. The house that you sold, that's an increase. The, the land that you sold, that's an increase. The calves that you sold, that's an increase. It's just a side hobby. It's an increase. Like, bring the first of all your increase back to God. Why? Because he wants you to know you can't control your riches and have a healthy relationship with God. Because it's all about your relationship with him. Listen, if God was willing to kill his own son to gain your affection, why in the world would he let a boat and a 401k and a bank account stand in the way of keeping your affection of what you value the most? We have to come to a place where we're willing to surrender and trust God with our riches. He, he might say, yeah, but pastor, that verse in Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. God has my whole heart. I just don't let him have all of my riches. He, I give him my heart. I really mean well. I just, I just like to manage it differently. I've been burned by churches in the past. Like, here, here's the only problem, only problem. I love that you're giving him your heart. But the problem is until your riches are surrendered to him, he doesn't actually have your heart. Because your heart doesn't, your riches don't follow your heart. Your heart follows your riches. Those were Jesus' words, not mine. Where your treasure is, where your riches are, that's where your heart is. Friends, maybe God is here today knocking at you saying, hey, I love you, I want to set you free, but you're controlling this zone of your riches. And I'm wondering if you'd let me be Lord in this area too. Some of you, your greatest stress is in the relation, is in the context of riches. So I have one question, are you tithing? Because you're controlling outcomes with how you're controlling your money, therefore you are on the hook for the results of that thing. Surrender matters. We have to surrender our riches. But we also need to surrender our relationships. We have to surrender our relationships. People matter a lot to us. We have relationships that matter to us. 100%. But when we try and control relational outcomes... Rather than trust God with them, we end up offended. We end up fighting for our own vengeance. And we end up trying to always be right in people's eyes, trying to please them. Why? Because ultimately our goal is to be right, to be liked, to be loved, to be welcomed, to be appreciated. And we try and control relationships. Abraham had to surrender his son said it before but I wonder if for many of us our love for our family our priority for our family is actually what we worship more than we worship God because we'll prepare we'll do things, we'll do anything for our family but we'll only show up when it's convenient to worship God we trust God with our lives but we just don't trust Him with our kids' lives and so we plan out everything, we tell them what to do, we don't give them options, we just kind of control every realm of their life. I'm not saying you should let your four-year-old decide whether he wants to play in the street or not, 
God also gave you a brain. I want you to use it. But some of our kids are so stubborn and strong-willed because we're trying to control. Just start giving them choices. Do you want to get dressed putting your right arm in or your left arm in first? They can control that decision. Not going to hurt them. And they're still doing what they need to do. Get ready for bed. Right? Give them a choice. Yeah, absolutely. But stop trying to control every outcome. Because otherwise you'll fight to be right. You'll want your own revenge. You'll try and find your own justice in a world where your justice is insufficient. You need the justice of God. Yeah, but they hurt me. They did me wrong. They broke my heart. Listen, if it's worth defending, God will be your defense. And his justice and his vengeance are righteous and pure. He will defend your motives and protect your heart better than you can trying to control the outcome. Do you trust God with your relationships? On our central hub on today's sermon notes, I list six ways for you to stay unoffendable. Because when it comes to this issue of being offended, it will destroy your relationships. And ultimately, I'm just going to say it, if there's an area where you're offended, you're trying to control the relationship and you need to give it to God. I say things like, take the lowest seat. Always have the posture of a servant. Take the lowest seat. Give somebody else preference. You can't be offended that they went first if you let them go first. Always remain grateful. Gratitude unlocks something in our heart of surrender to God. We're going to come back to that one. Give others their freedom. We just talked about that even with our kids. Let them, let them make some decisions. Safe ones. You don't have to control everything in life. There are other relationships, work relationships, spouse relationships. Quit trying to control everything. They might make a wrong decision. What a great opportunity to let them understand the forgiveness of God and the redemption of God. But you can't control it or you'll kill it. Make decisions that promote life in others. Speak life. Don't speak negatively about other people. Don't gossip. They may have hurt you. Don't tell the world about it. Talk to God about it. Don't spread rumors and lies and speaking death over people, posting it all over. No, take it to God. Let Him heal it. Surrender it even to Him. Trust God to bring justice when the offense comes. I've said it for many years. If it's worth defending, God will be your defender. You don't have to fight for it. God will fight for it. And his justice is way better than your justice. Because what you try and control, you ultimately are responsible for. And then finally, dedicate time to the Lord. Spend time with God. See, ultimately, it, it looks like this. When you're spending time with God, you know what you do? You begin to open your hands to God. And when you open your hands to God, you'll begin to live under an open heaven from God. But as long as you're closed, as long as you're holding on to everything so tight in your life, you'll find this sense of being bound and unfree. Surrender. And freedom looked more like this. Philippians 
3, 8 and 9 says, Paul's writing and he says, I've taken all of these things that are so important, all of my riches, all of my wealth, all of my relationship, all of my social status. I've taken everything that I've held on to for years as so important, things that I valued and tried to control outcomes and tried to make happen in my own efforts. All of the things that I've tried to do on my own, I've learned to count as absolute trash and rubbish. And he says, I've dumped them. I've dropped them. I've let them all go. I've surrendered it all. Because when I surrender everything, when I live open-armed and open-handed, then I can be embraced by Christ. Some of you don't feel like you can trust God because you're not close to God. But the only way to get close to God is to drop the stuff that you're holding that's separating you from God. What is the thing in your heart that you value the most. That's the thing you need to surrender today. Your freedom will begin when you surrender. Let me say it another way. True freedom cannot begin until you surrender. As long as you're controlling an area of your life, God can't come and be the savior of that area of your life. He wants to embrace you and love you and bring you close, not correct you, not harm you, not bring you damage or destruction. Why? Because his character is good and you can trust his character. You can trust his character. Real practical, this week, if you want to increase your trust in God, if you want to increase your, your, your proclivity or your 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 desire to even trust or your, your willingness to trust God in, in any area of your life. Real practical. Are you ready? Blow your mind. Make a list of all the things you can be grateful for. Make a list. How has God provided? How did God protect you? How has God been with you? How has God showed you his love? Start making a list. Get your kids involved in it. Everybody in your family, start making a list of the things that you are grateful for or where you've seen God in your life act on your behalf, and your trust will start to go up. Why? Because you'll see that his character has been proven over time. Why? Because you can trust relationships as far as they've been tested. Some of you have had a lot of things that you've walked through, and you know you can trust God. Others of you, you're just starting on this journey. If you'll begin to make this list, you'll begin to see that you can trust God with everything. No more zone controls of your life. Well, I trust God with my relationships, but not my riches. I trust God with my work environment, but I don't really trust him with my family. So I'm always hovering and making plans for my kids and bailing my kids out of their mistakes. And no, no, stop, stop controlling outcomes. Now, if they're four years old, and then make the decision to go get in the street, rescue them, okay? Maybe, maybe don't take this the wrong way, right? Well, they just made their own decision. Hell with the consequence. No, no. Be a good parent. God's a good God. He wouldn't let you do that. That's why he protected you. How, how can you begin to live more open-handed? What are the zones in your life you need to surrender to God? What is the one thing that if it wasn't in your life would devastate your life and would cause you to walk away from faith in God? 
that might be the thing that you value more than your relationship with God. Doesn't mean you have to get rid of it. It just means that you need to repent and put God ahead of it. Surrender it and let God be God in that area rather than you be God in that area. Has this been helpful? Let's stand and let's pray together. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there anything in my heart that I haven't given you control over? Maybe it's schedule, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's a work thing, riches, relationships, what is it? Just ask the Holy Spirit right here, right now, Holy Spirit, is there anything? now, if you have something in your mind, I want you to put your hands out in front of you, close-fisted, and I want you just to say with me, God, I give it to you. And now open your hands. Lord, you see us living open-handed here. This is a physical symbol, God, of what we're doing in our heart, asking that you would be Lord, you would control the things. Help us this week, God, to walk with trust. Not controlling, but trusting. May we walk with gratitude this week as we make a list of all the things that we can be grateful for that allow us to trust you all the more. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.